we're going to be, if, you're, if you've been here for any portion of time, you know that when I get up here, usually thinking James, and we'll be there again today. And uh, let's just get started with this idea. You, you, go to church, uh, you, go to, you go to work, and um, it's one of those mornings where you didn't get uh, um, to eat breakfast. And so right around 10 o'clock, your stomach starts, starts uh, cringing. It starts doing those stomach pain things that remind you that you need to eat. And uh, you're able to put that off in your mind for another hour, 11.20, 11.25 comes around, and then you get to that point where you're starting to check the clock every five minutes. It, whether you're looking up to the clock on the wall or whether you're, you're looking at your, your computer screen and you see a little, a little number dial at the bottom and you're checking every five minutes because you're hungry. Finally, it comes around 12 o'clock and you get to go to lunch. Whether you go out and get the lunch or whether you, come, or whether you brought a lunch with you and you go into the workroom, you, you go into the, the refrigerator, get your lunch and put it in the microwave and it's your favorite part of the day. Everybody is, uh, it's my favorite part of the day for sure, and everybody is sitting around a table maybe and they're all talking and nobody's worried about expectations and nobody's worried about being evaluated. No, they just get to be themselves. You're not reporting on anything, you're just talking, shooting the breeze. You're especially excited because uh, there's a couple people in the room that you know are believers. They share the same faith as you. And so you're able to sit down with them and say, this is great. Uh, not oftentimes at work do I, do I get to share the table with somebody who knows Jesus. So you're excited. As you're putting your items into the microwave and, and it's cooking, uh, you begin to hear a story. Uh, the people at the table that were there before you even got there are talking about what they did this last weekend. And particularly, you hear at the side of your, the side of, of your ear, or the side you hear, that uh, you hear a voice and you go, I know that person. I think that's the person that knows Jesus. And you start, you can't help but overhear as you're microwaving your food, of what he is talking about, what he did this last weekend. As you continue to listen, as your food is heating up, you hear a story about how he had a great time, how there was drinking involved, how drinking got the best of him, how he ended up inebriated, even drunk. And towards the end of his story, he even shares something that sounds like there's an inference that he possibly was sexually immoral that night. And you think to yourself, man, I was so excited to come in here and sit down with somebody who knew Jesus. And then I hear this story that for sure doesn't glorify God. And to top it all off, I heard it. So now I feel responsible to do something about it. I feel responsible to go talk to that person. But you wait. Maybe you go back to your office and you, you start eating lunch and you start praying and asking God to give you guidance. Help me to share with them how that was not a wise thing to do, how that was not a wise thing to share. And help them see me as a person who wants what's best for them and not somebody who's just there to point out their flaws. So you've been prayerful about it. You wait for the right timing. You pull him aside so he's not embarrassed in front of anybody. And you tell him, you know what, I'm concerned. Everybody knows that I claim to know Jesus in this place and everybody knows that you claim to know Jesus. And yet the story that you shared about this last weekend, first of all, I'm concerned for your Christian reputation because it's not godly what you were talking about. Second, I'm concerned for your Christian relationship between you and God. And finally, you gotta know that I don't, I'm not trying to look down on you. I, I don't wanna just point out problems. I, I, I wanna be a part of the solution if I can. I wanna help you. You try so hard to deliver that message and the response you get completely stuns you. After you delivered your carefully crafted statement, he simply looks at you and says, don't judge me. The Bible says don't judge. Don't judge me. And you sit back and you think to yourself, wait a second. 
The Bible does say don't judge. I can think of a couple of passages that say do not judge. Does that mean the person in this situation, the person in this situation who needs to adjust their behavior is me? Is that what that means? I think it's a common question that we all in our lives maybe have considered at one point or another. And it's not an easy one. And that is whether it is okay to judge or whether it's not okay to judge. The Bible seems to teach this in separate passages in separate ways. And it can get confusing. In some areas it seems like, yes, we should be judging. In other areas, wait a second, no, we should not be judging. And so the question becomes, which one is it? Should I judge or should I not judge? And that's what we're going to look at today. When is it okay to judge and when is it not okay to judge, biblically speaking? We're going to kind of take a look at God's dictionary for the word judge. All right? So we're going to view the Bible today as like a dictionary, and we're going to kind of look at what he says about judging. Because we're going to look at it like a dictionary, we're going to be flipping through passages. We're going to go here, we're going to go there, we're going to go to different places. But that's okay. As our pastor says, it's a Bible church, right? So we, we flip passages. We should hear the, the pages moving. Unless you have an iPhone in which you don't flip pages. And you get there faster. I know, I have one. So um, that's what we're going to do today. When is it okay to judge, and when is it not okay to judge? First, we're going to take a look at the passages that seem to indicate that judging is completely and totally out of bounds. Then we're going to take a look at passages that seem to indicate that we should, in fact, be exercising judgment. And then finally, at the very end, we're going to try to come together and say, how do we reconcile these truths? How can both be true? So we'll look at the judging that I should abstain from, the judging that I should be exercising, and how can both be true? And for this, we'll be starting in the book of James. Why don't you turn to James chapter 4? James chapter 4. If you're new to us, and maybe even the, this whole Bible thing is new to you, just understand it's okay. It's hard for us to find passages at time as well. You can, you can nudge your neighbor if you have the same. If you're using the Pew Bible, they'll tell you what page it's on, and you can get there as well. So you can, uh, all the Pew Bibles are the same, so page numbers will work. James chapter 4. We're going to look at two verses today in the book of James. James chapter 4 verse 11. The judging that I should abstain from. It's judging that, that elevates myself to God's judgment seat. Judging that elevates myself to God's judgment seat. Let's look at that. James chapter 4 verse 11. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver, the one who is able to save and destroy, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? The whole heart of this passage is the imperative, don't speak evil against your brother. Something was going on in this church where James writes, don't speak evil against each other. Another way of saying that is don't judge each other. Your brothers, don't do this to yourselves. And it was the idea that uh, judging your brother was the same thing as judging the law. Now this is really interesting. If you judge your brother, then you're judging the law. What in the world does that mean? There's only one lawgiver, only one judge, but if you stand in judgment over your brothers, you're standing in judgment over the law. Kind of an interesting thing there. And at the very end, he says, who are you to judge your neighbor? He's probably talking about 
a specific passage in the Old Testament. He's probably talking about the idea that you're to love your neighbors as yourself and not here you're doing the opposite, you're judging them. So that's probably what's in view. You are judging them when you should be loving them. And when you judge them instead of love them, you're making a judgment on the law. And here's what he's saying. When you take a piece of scripture and you say, here's a directive from God, and I'm going to decide whether I'm going to do that or not, it becomes optional to me. Now I'm becoming a judge over the law. I'm judging whether or not I should do this, whether or not I need to, whether or not it's, whether or not it's profitable for me to do it. I become a judge over what I should or shouldn't do. So you become a judge of the law. When you don't love your neighbor, you're standing in judgment over the law because you're, making the determining, you're determining whether or not you should follow or not. Now this is for all you math buffs out there. Um, I was never really good at English. Reading came hard for me, um, the whole uh, grammar. I didn't learn grammar until I started learning Greek because you had to learn grammar to know Greek. Um, I don't get me wrong, I had the class. I just didn't do very well, <laughs> well in it. But I really, really enjoyed math. And uh, it got to the point where I was so good at it that when I went to school, um, I really um, kind of got through college by tutoring students in math. So I actually loved algebra, geometry, algebra two, trigonometry. Pre-calculus pre is when I started having to study. And uh, then I said, I don't want to take calculus. I had to study in pre-calculus. Why would I do that? And so anyway, there's this one little, there's this one little, um, um, law of mathematics called the transitive property of equality. For those of you out math buffs, you'll love this. For the rest of you, just ignore me. Uh, the, the transitive property of equality says this. If A equals B and B equals C, then A absolutely and must equal C. All right? A equals B, B equals C. A must absolutely equal C. And that's almost what you have going on in this passage right now. You have A, which is speaking evil of brother or judging him. B, standing in judgment over the law. And C, not being a doer of the word, but standing in judgment over it. And that's kind of a literal idea there where it says um, you're not keeping, keeping the law. It's really, literally the idea of not being a doer of the law. All right, and I'll come back to that in a second. So when I'm speaking evil or judging, I'm also judging the law. And when I'm standing in judgment over the law, I'm also not being a doer of the word. And so therefore, when I'm speaking evil or judging... I'm not being a doer of the law. And that's kind of his point. You do remember in chapter 1, now this was a long time ago for us, but in chapter 1 he talks about being a doer of the word. Be a doer of the word. Remember that? We talked about that. Be a doer of the word. Don't just listen. Do it. Take action on it. And he's saying when you judge and when in your heart you're, you're, you're judging towards your brothers and you're speaking evil of them, you're slandering them, you're not being a doer of the law. It seems like a simple point, guys. Don't judge. Don't judge. Specifically, we are not allowed to do anything that elevates us to where we're sitting on God's judgment seat. Remember, there's only one lawgiver, one final judge. That's God. And really what's in mind here is it's the hypocritical, judgmental attitude that enjoys finding faults in people, leaving no room for God to work in the person and pronouncing them hopeless. God's the only one who pronounces anything. God's the one who sends people to heaven and he sends people to hell. He is the final judge. And there can be a point sometimes where we enjoy sitting in that seat. Even though it's not my authority, I enjoy pretending like it is. I enjoy being judgmental. We are not to try and steal his authority just because it feels good for us to be sitting in that seat. 
The first type of judging that I should abstain from is the kind that elevates myself to God's judgment seat. The second kind of judgment that I should abstain from is the kind of judging that is hypocritical. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Approaching judgment hypocritically. And again, we're just going to look at, first we're going to look at passages that talk about not judging. And then we're going to come to a place where we look at passages that say we should judge. And then we're going to try to reconcile them. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, kind of in the middle of your Bible, more towards the right. Chapter 7 says this, verse 1, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. With the same measure you use, it will be measured against you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, do not take a speck out of your eye, and all the time there's a plank in your eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This comes out of a very popular section of Scripture called the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is kind of uh, training his disciples, but at the same time he's doing something very specific. He's training them, and he's attacking the religious leaders. He's, he's attacking the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he's kind, of, he's kind of throwing out comments that pertain directly to them. And basically what he's saying is, hey, Pharisees, I know you're making a judgment on me right now. You're deciding who I am. You're deciding if you want to follow, and you're deciding if I'm the anointed one. But really, you're not, you're not being fair about that judgment. You don't want me. You don't want any part of me. Be careful how you judge me, though, because of the same measure that you judge me, it's going to be judged against you. Just be careful when you see, you're looking for a speck of sawdust in my eye, and you got this plank coming out of your eye. It's ridiculous is the idea. It's almost like a two-by-four is coming out. Here, let me help you with that piece of sawdust. Well, you have this two-by-four out of your eye. I think you can reach it. He's saying you're a hypocrite. The kind of judgment in view here is hypocrisy. It's that hypocritical, judgmental attitude that enjoys finding faults in people, even if it's a speck of sawdust leaving no room for God to work in the person, pronouncing them hopeless. Let's look at the third judging that we should stay away from. Go to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. I hear some flipping. That's good. Oh, I hear some more. Very, very nice. Romans chapter 14. Should stay away from judgment that elevates me to God's judgment seat. Should stay away from judgment that approaches judging hypocritically. And I should stay away from judgment on disputable matters. Look at verse 1. Romans 14 verse 1. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One, one man's faith allows him to eat everything. Another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does. For God has accepted him. Go down, go down to verse 9. For this reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both, both the dead and the living. You then, why do you, oh, here's that dirty word, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we all will stand before God's judgment seat, and as it is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on who? One another. Instead, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. 
Another judgment that I should abstain from is making judgments on disputable matters. These are, these are the gray areas in the Christian faith. These are the areas that the Bible doesn't necessarily specifically speak to. Or there isn't a principle that is so clear in the Bible that kind of lends itself to the situation. These are the type of movies that we watch. These are the specific holidays that we either celebrate or don't celebrate. This is the glass of wine that we decide to have at a wedding or not. This is playing poker with the guys. These things usually, and there's lots more of them, these things that are not inherently or overtly sinful in themselves, but if you abuse them, they can be. Whether you participate in these gray area activities or you don't, we're not to look down on somebody who does the opposite of us. Usually I say when in doubt, if you don't have a verse for it, then don't make a judgment on it. If you don't have a verse or a principle, let me say that. My generation thinks smoking marijuana is okay. So (laughs) there are principles in Scripture that can lend over, even though marijuana is not specifically spoken to. So we need to be careful on disputable matters, that we don't let our conviction, our personal convictions, bring us to the point where we're being judgmental on other people. Because if we do, we could be falling guilty or falling into that hypocritical judgment, judgmental attitude that enjoys finding faults in people, leaving no room for God to work in the person and pronouncing them hopeless. So those are the type of judgments that I'm supposed to abstain from. Judgments that elevate myself to God's judgment seat. Judgments that that are approached hypocritically. And judgments that are made on disputable matters. It seems to be pretty clear. What's left? I mean, what kind of judgments am I supposed to be making? Are there any judgments that God is calling me to make? The simple answer to that question is yes. That's why I titled this God's Dictionary on Judging, because I feel like, have you ever read a book and you, you see this word over and over and over again and you don't understand the word and it becomes very apparent to you that you're not going to understand the book unless you go get a dictionary and find out what that word is? And so you get the dictionary, you're like, great, I'm going to find out what this word is. Now, I'm not much of a reader, so I've done this probably once in my life. But the, the idea is you go to the dictionary, you open it up, you get to the word, great, I'm going to finally get my answer of what this word means, right? And then what do you find? There's three definitions. Right? There's definition one, definition two, and definition three. And they're all slightly different than, the, than each other. And you're going to have to make a determination as to which definition applies to your book. That's kind of what we're doing. Definition one, don't judge. Don't be judgmental. Now let's look at definition two. Judgment I should be exercising. Judgment when trying to restore a brother. Let me just read you this passage. Galatians 6, chapter 1 says this. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself so you, don't, so you yourself aren't tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. You who are spiritual, restore him gently. Now, it doesn't say judge in the verse, but inherently you have to judge the situation. How can I know? Okay, there's two categories. Living for Jesus, not living for Jesus, sinful life, righteous life. If I'm going to make a determination that this person's not living for Jesus, I'm going to have to say, you know what? He is living this way. He is living this way. He is doing this. This is sin. 
That is a judgment. That's a determination. It's a judgment call. And if I come to that judgment, I've got to go now, biblically, and try to restore that brother. It's true. I'll give you another one in case you don't believe. Let's, let's turn together to Matthew 18. Turn to Matthew 18. Restoring a brother. The judging that I should be exercising is judgment with the heart of restoring a brother. Matthew 18. Look at verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. Just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along with you. So the matter can be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Again, inherent in that passage is making a judgment. Not only on us individually, now it's getting corporate. Corporately, we're supposed to make a judgment. We're supposed to make a judgment call on how a believer lives. So we're supposed to make a judgment call as it relates to the brotherhood of Christianity. We're, if we see our brothers and sisters in sin, we're not just supposed to sit around and watch it. We're supposed to do something. We're supposed to go after them with the heart of restoration. How about another one? Uh, this comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Just let me read this. We're also supposed to, we're also supposed to judge between disputes between brothers. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says this. If anyone... If any of you has a dispute with one another, dare he take it before an ungodly, the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you are going to judge the world, aren't you competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge the angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, Appoint as judges even men of little account in the church. I say this to you to shame you. Is it possible there's no one among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? Instead, one brother goes to law against another, and this in front of unbelievers. It's a really interesting passage. Basically, it says believers shouldn't sue believers. Have you ever considered that? Christians shouldn't sue other Christians. It looks horrible in, in, a, in, a, in a secular court. You guys are believers. You guys love Jesus. And yet you can't figure out this dispute. You have to come to me, a judge, to figure out your dispute. That's the kind of faith I want. That seems like it's really working for you guys. And so what he's saying is, don't go to a secular court to figure these things out. Let the church figure it out. Let people in the church figure it out. And then the reason he says why you should do this is even more surprising. Verse 2, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you are, not the ju if you are going to judge the world, are you not comp competent in, in judging trivial cases? And then he says, do you not know that we will judge the angels? The idea is if we're going to be doing that type of judgment, we should be able to figure these things out. We should be able to judge disputes between each other. And by the way, there is that dirty word again, judge. It's the same exact word. So God calls us to judge believers' actions as to restore them to the faith. And he calls, us, calls the church to set aside believers who will judge between disputes so they don't have to go to a secular court. And we will see that he also calls us to the highest form of judgment, even excommunication to the church. Why don't you turn 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 
This is the last one, I promise. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Disciplining from church fellowship. Let's start at verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that does not occur even among the pagans. A man has his father's wife. Go to verse 3. Even though I'm not physically present, I am with you in spirit, and I have already what? Past judgment. There's that dirty word again. On the one who did this, as if I were present. Jump down to verse 9. I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexual immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But I am writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother and is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. With such a man, don't even eat. What business is it of mine to, what? Judge those outside the church. Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. Now we got the word judge all over this passage. And the idea is, listen, you can't have people who come to the church, say they're believers, say they're members, and then are living life completely contrary to that. You can't have communion with them. That's really the idea. Tonight when we have communion, it's the brother, the, the, the family of God coming together celebrating what, what Jesus did on the cross for us. It is a slap in his face if we allow somebody to come in who we all know is sexually immoral. Go, here, have a piece of hair, have some, have some blood. It's a slap in his face. Don't do that. Don't associate with them. Kick them out. Remove them from the church. I've already passed judgment on them, and I'm not even there. Seems pretty clear, right? So we have clear passages on both sides. We have passages that say, do not judge. It's out of bounds. We have passages that say, yeah, you should be about judging. In fact, I'm not even there, and I'm judging. So which one is it? How can both be true? We're... Um, in our Timothy class right now, we're going through um, hermeneutics. It's just a big word that, that um, describes how to study the Bible or a Bible study method. Each of us approaches the Bible with a set of, of principles in our minds of how we glean truth from this book. We all do it. The scary thing is we don't all start out with the same principles. What we're trying to do in Timothy is trying to mold those principles in the guys. We figure if we can mold those principles of how you glean truth from the Word of God, then I no longer have to tell you the truth. I can just say, here's the passage, and you can come to the same conclusion I would. It's the difference between handing the guys a fish and teaching them how to fish. And that's what we're trying to do. And so we're talking about these principles, these hermeneutical principles, and one of them is this. The Bible does not contradict itself. We believe this is the Word of God, and if it's the Word of God, it cannot contradict itself. And so we say, you know what, when we have a situation where we have a perceived contradiction, it's just that, perceived. There's got to be an answer, I just don't know what it is right now. I've got to study harder and figure it out, but it's a perceived contradiction because we believe the Bible can't contradict itself. Another one is, uh, is the Scripture interprets Scripture. So here's the idea. If I have five passages over here 
that seems to be very clear about a topic. All right? And then I have one passage over here that seems to say the opposite about that same topic. I'm going to take the five. I'm going to take the five and say, this is very clear in Scripture about the five, and the one over here, I must not be understanding something correctly. The problem here is that we've got a healthy amount of Scripture on this side, and we've got a healthy amount of Scripture on this side. So which is it? Can we judge, or can we not? And really, you're left with this idea. It's either going to be a both-and or an either-or. Either both have to be true, or I'm going to have to pick one. And in this situation, it's probably best to pick a both end. And here's how it would look. When you judge, make sure that you aren't robbing God of his judgment seat. And when you judge, make sure that you're not being a hypocrite in that judgment. And thirdly, when you judge, make sure you're not judging on disputable matters, gray areas, areas of Christian freedom. So when you judge, make sure you're not robbing God of his judgment seat. Make sure that you're not judging in a hypocritical manner. And make sure that you're not judging disputable matters. And when you judge in the positive sense, make sure you have a heart of restoration. Galatians 6, verse 1. Matthew 18. My goal is to restore you to the faith, not to point out how stupid you are. I'm not enjoying telling you your flaws. And when you judge, have a heart of reconciliation. A heart of reconciliation, a heart of bringing a true testimony, whatever that would be, whatever that would look like. I want your testimony to look good. I want to promote Christ in this. And finally, when you judge, have in view righteousness. We can't have people coming to the table if they're living their lives completely opposite of Christ. Now, we all make mistakes, and we all need the blood of Jesus. Yes, that's one, yes. And people do struggle, yes, and they can still take communion, yes. Get right before God and take communion. But if your life is a complete opposite way, you're not in the struggle. You're indulging in it. And so in view of righteousness, we have to judge that situation. Like many things, judging according to the Bible is a both end, not necessarily an either or. And while God does call me to make judgment calls at times, he never calls me to be judgmental. And although I may need to restore my brothers and sisters in Christ, I shouldn't really enjoy that. We'll end with two stories. One is Mike. Mike has a friend. His friend's a likable guy. Says he's a Christian, but there's times where he, uh, his occasional drinking takes him too far. Mike notices that, but he doesn't want to mention it to his friend because he's kind of scared of how it'll affect his relationship. But recently, Mike found out that his friend, his Christian buddy, went too far. In the process of going too far and drinking, he made inappropriate advances to a woman who was married. Now that woman's leaving her husband. Mike should have made a judgment call and should have went to his friend and should have corrected him and should have restored him to Christ. I have a friend met with him several years ago. Good guy, been in the ministry for six, seven, eight years. He was telling me about a span in his ministry, about a five-year span where he had been and left three different churches. And as we're talking over lunch and I'm listening to him, he's saying to me, you know, God has called me to tough situations, and I'm good at it. God has called me to call out senior pastors and call out elder boards. And you know what? If nobody stands with me, I'll call them out. I'm good at it. God's built me that way. 
After about five minutes of this conversation, you start feeling like, man, you actually rather enjoy this, don't you? And to top it all off, he's letting me know that he's feel like God's calling him again. And at his present church, he needs to call out the senior pastors and call out the elders. I think to myself, man, what would God do without you? I mean, if you weren't there, he couldn't get anything done, could he? Needless to say, the guy is no longer at that church. He continues to build his resume on churches that he's called out and then had to leave on a negative note. He starts having an answer. He said, wait a second, could the problem just be in you? Could you just be really judgmental? Pick apart everything that's going on. You see, while God may call us to make judgment calls in certain situations, he never calls us to be judgmental. And the only difference is the state of your heart. It's that hypocritical, judgmental attitude that enjoys finding faults in people, leaving no room for God to work in the person and pronouncing them hopeless. Let's pray. Father, I'm well aware there could be people in the room right now. Maybe they're visiting our church and they've met a judgmental Christian and, 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 and as they come in here they say, man, I want a piece of God but not if it means being like those people. Help us to be a better testimony of you. Help us not to be judgmental as we judge. And then Father, on the other side, help us to step up and make the judgment call when you call us to. Help us not sit idly by as our Brothers and sisters, make foolish decisions, and we don't say a word. There's a balance there, Lord. I feel like the balance is found on our knees. As we pray and we come to you and say, Father, help me. Help this person feel like I'm not judging them, I'm not being judgmental, but at the same time, I have every bit of care for their soul. I feel like we as pastors do this all the time. We try to direct people and gently show them the right direction. And sometimes it's just thrown in our face. Don't judge me. Oh, I don't have a heart to judge you. I have a heart to shepherd you. I have a heart that would bring you closer to the Lord. Help us all have that heart. In Jesus' name.